This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay. Pasha Shmini. This week's Pasha. So it's a very happy Pasha, but it's also a very, very sad Pasha. Pasha Shmini was the eighth day of the Miluim, not Israeli army Miluim, but the Mishkan Miluim, where they opened up, grand opening of the Mishkan. For seven days they practiced. Moshe Rabbeinu was the one who, who practiced. And on the eighth day, us guys, the Kahanim, right, we started doing the work in the base of Migdash. So it's sort of like um, the pros, and then when they're playing baseball now in spring training, what is that called? Anyone here know? What? No? Baseball fans? Before the season, what is that called? Preseason. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. We're in shul. Why are you talking baseball? Anyway, so there was pre-Mishkan, which was Moshe Rabbeinu for the seven days, grand opening, Aaron Cohen and his children. Their dream, because us Kahanim, that's all we do is we work in the base of Migdash. We don't plant. We don't have land. We're not businessmen. When the Beis HaMikdash is going to be here, Rabbi Wallerstein is going to not change one drop. Because what the Kahanim did, when they were at times of the Beis HaMikdash, they were the Rebbe's. They were the teachers. That's what they did. They worked for two weeks. Two weeks, a whole year. You can get used to that. Um, in the Beis HaMikdash. And the rest of the year, they were Rabbeim. So Aaron Cohen and his four sons were very excited. Nadav Aviu were the two oldest. Ilaza Isamar, Itamar were the next two. So it's grand opening. And everybody's excited. And Klai Yisrael is waiting for seven days, says Rashi, and they're waiting for the fire to come out of heaven to start the Karbonot. It's not happening. And they ask Moshe Rabbeinu, what's going on? How come Hashem's not sending down His fire? What do we have to do to Veshachanti Besochem that Hashem should dwell amongst us? Moshe Rabbeinu says, you have to wait. When the time is right... Hashem will, will, will dwell amongst you. And I think you have to wait until Aharon HaKohen and his sons, when it's their day, on the eighth day, that's when the fire is going to come down. Okay. So, there were two Mizbeachs in the Beis HaMikdash. Mizbeach HaChitzon, outside Mizbeach, and an inside Mizbeach. Mizbeach HaChitzon were for animals. And Mizbeach inside was for Ketores, spices. So a fire came out of Shemayim, lit the fire on the Mizbeach HaChitzon, but did not light a fire on the inside Mizbeach. Along came another Vavihu, who felt, this is not good, because the inside Mizbeach doesn't have a fire. Let's make a Kiddush Hashem, in front of all the Jews, let's take our own fire, go inside, and light up this inside Mizbeach. Good idea. So, Vayichu B'nei Aaron, another Vavihu, Ishmach each one took a pan, they took fire from the Mizbeach, the outside Mizbeach, or just a fire. And they put the spices into the pans, and they brought it inside. A strange fire. Hashem never commanded them to do this. But they did it on their own, because they wanted to make a Kiddush Hashem. Good intentions. Very good intentions. What's the reward for these good intentions? The fire came out from God and it ate them alive. 
says Rashi, the fire went, hit them, and burnt their total insides, were burnt out. They died on the spot. But outside, their body looked like, like lightning hit somebody. So outside, their body looked full and complete, but inside, all their avarim, all their parts of their body were burnt, and they died on the spot. Like Hashem, they died in front of Hashem. Okay. So Moshe Rabbeinu called Mishonel on cell phone to take them out. What happens? What is... What is... See that when I speak, they're fireworks. I love it. <laughs> Only in Queens. What was... What was Aaron, who was the father of Nadir Aviyu, the two young men that just got killed, what was his reaction? Imagine. No, you should never imagine. Chatz Nobody here should ever even understand what, what happened over there. On opening day, the day of the Kahanim, in front of everybody, and it says that none of the Abihu were greater than Moshe and Aaron. So these were his superstar sons. Got killed right in front of their father's eyes on the big day for all of them for the Kahanim. Could you imagine? You can't imagine. Someone's getting married and the parents are at the chuppah and, and the child dies under the chuppah. It, it, it's such a it's such a tragedy nobody can even imagine such a thing. But that's what happened here. With the day of the chuppah was the biggest day for a kohen. And right in front of his eyes his two oldest boys who were greater than him and Moshe Rabbeinu died. And who killed them? Hashem. They didn't have a heart attack. You say they were, you know, weren't exercising or they smoked too much. There was no question who killed them. A fire came out of heaven like lightning and hit them both. So, how does a person react? How does Aaron HaKohen who gave his life for God, who all day long, all he did was run around and bring shalom, bring peace between people, husbands and wives. How did he react? Says the Pasik, Vayidom Aharon. And Aharon was silent. Now, that's a verb. When you have nothing to say, sometimes... People have nothing, I can't, not me, but sometimes people have nothing to say. Just have nothing to say. That's not called being quiet. Being quiet is if you say something to me I don't like, and I want to say something back to you, and I control myself. I'm like, nope, it's a verb. I'm not going to say anything. But Yidom Aaron is a verb. He didn't say anything, he just accepted it. Which is unheard of. Why Hashem? My boys are so good. And even if they weren't, and they made a mistake, they did it for you. And even if they didn't do it for you, I'm standing there. My whole life I gave to you. Could have given them another chance. You had to kill them on the spot. Nothing. Not a word. Not a word. So how does Hashem pay someone back for that? How does Hashem pay someone back for not speaking? And the answer is very deep. A few psukim later, for the one time and only time in the Torah, it says, Hashem el Aharon Lamar. And Hashem spoke to Aaron saying, 
The only time in the whole Torah, beginning to end, that Hashem spoke to Aaron one-on-one. It says many, it says sometimes, Hashem, El Moshe Aaron, El Aaron Moshe. The only time Hashem just spoke to Aaron by himself, no Moshe. One-on-one was right after his children died. Hashem said to him, you cannot drink wine before you come into the base of Megdash. What, what does that have to do with anything? So, the rabbis say there are four reasons that they died. Four different rabbis, four different reasons. One says that they drank wine because it was their happiest day of the year and they thought that if they drink wine... It's going to make them loose. It's going to make them spiritual. So if they go in under the influence of alcohol and this unbelievable day, they're going to get onto such a high level, it's going to be amazing. Like some guys who go to weddings and they get blitzed and they drink and they sit there and they look so stupid. Now I'm getting the guys. Don't worry. We get both sides of the room. And they stand outside there and they think they're cool. And they have that, that, that liquor glass. And it's got about this much scotch in it. And they're sitting there with smoking outside. And they're swishing it like, yo, you know who I am? <laughs> and it looks stupid. You know why you look stupid when you do that? Because it looks like that the glass of scotch is really swishing you. Not your swishing it. Who are you trying to impress? If you want to drink it, drink it. And if you don't want to drink it, what are you standing out there with your cigarette with this half glass of scotch? Because it's very cool. So it's a different sheer. Those are guys who don't have self. Girls, stay away from those guys. They don't have self. The bottle of liquor and the cigarettes which gives them who they are. Take that away. They don't can't talk to nobody. They don't got no friends. They think that when you come to a wedding of your best friend and you want to make them happy, you got to get blitzed. That means you have no feelings for your friend. I don't need to drink to dance all night for my friend. If you need to drink, he's not your friend. Because guess what? If you drink that much, I can get you dance for a monkey. You don't need to be dancing for your friend. Why am I telling you this? Because people think that if I drink at a wedding or if I drink on Shabbos, that's going to make me a lot more spiritual. Says the Torah that none of the who thought that on the day of God revealing himself in the Mishkan, if they drink, wow, it's just going to open up their head and their eyes. And Hashem said, if that's what you think my relationship is, you have to drink to get close to me, then you don't need to be here anymore. Therefore, Kohen, which I am, we're never allowed to drink. On Yantif, before we do Chen, before we do Bechat Kohenim, by the Spartan, they do it every day. You're not allowed to drink before you do Bechat Kohenim. And there are also Kohenim that never drink to get a little tipsy because they believe that Mashiach can come any moment. Now, Mashiach comes any moment and you have to do the Avaidah and you're going to say, no! Go do the Avaidah! You're going to go, uh, well... 
I just had a half a bottle of vodka. I really can't do it. Okay, we'll take a different kind and you missed out. So there are many kahanim that don't drink, and the one you're looking at right here doesn't drink. Because I can be happy, girls and guys, without drinking. Just the opposite. Give me a drink, and it takes away my connection. Because if a person in his conscience, while he's awake, is close to Hashem, and if you drink, you're less conscious, you're further away from Hashem. That was their mistake. Their mistake was that they thought that they needed something else to get them close to Hashem. That was a big mistake. Had a boy a few months ago tell me that when he smokes up marijuana, he does a joint, he learns much better. He understands the Gemara much better. Maybe, I don't know. I never tried it. But that's not what the rabbis, that's not what the rabbis want you to do when you sit and learn. They want you to get the connection to HaKadosh Baruch Hu without being drunk and without smoking up. And just the opposite. The guys who smoke up or the girls who smoke up or they drink, it's a disconnection. It's not a connection at all. So what Hashem said to Aaron HaKohen, the first thing Hashem said to Aaron HaKohen after his sons died is, Yain v'secha al Don't come into my base amigdash under the influence of alcohol. So Chazal say from that we see that the reason they died was because they thought that to get close to God they need something else. And that's an insult to Hashem. Another reason that's brought down is that they decided every reason, everything they did, this is the point of my shirt tonight, they rationalized. Everything they did, they rationalized. They, they did it for the good. They drank wine for the good. They brought the fire for the good because the fire didn't come down. Hashem didn't look good. So I'm going to help God. Hashem said, I didn't ask you to do that. They never got married. Do you know why they never got married? These are two big tzaddikim. They never got married because they said they get married, they're going to be busy with their wife and their kids. And they can't be busy with Hashem when they're busy with their wife and kids. And they want to be busy with Hashem 24-7. So they're not getting married. And they don't want to ever be tummy. So they're not getting married. So they didn't get married. So Hashem said, Judaism is getting close to God living a normal life. It's not Christianity where you're a priest and you can't be married or a nun and you can't be married. That's not our religion. It's not what Hashem wants. Hashem wants you to be married and He wants you to have children and He wants you to serve Him with your children and your wife. Not the view decided. No. We want to be greater than Moshe. He was married. Aaron was married. We want to be greater. We don't want to be busy with anything in this world. Said Hashem, in that case, if you don't want to be married and you don't have children, and you don't want to be busy with anyone in this world, then you don't have to be in this world. To be a malach? You want to be a malach? A malach's in the next world. So Hashem took him out. Third reason. Again, the, the reasoning girls was amazing. They did it for Hashem. They did it for Hashem. Their reasoning was amazing. Hashem said, but that's not what I'm asking. I'm not asking you to drink. I'm going to ask you not to get married. I'm not asking you to bring fires where you're not supposed to bring fires. And then the fourth reason was that they passed in the halacha in front of Moshe Rabbeinu, in front of their Rebbe, which you're not allowed to. Also because they thought they were greater. 
they were killed for that too. So the point I'm trying to make here tonight, everybody who does something wrong in their life rationalizes it. Why it's not wrong, including the rabbi that's sitting up here. I don't know if you heard my speech this past week. I used to be a very big gambler. Huge. Not style a regular gambler, but crazy big. I was very, very famous. All across Vegas, Atlantic City, Lake Tahoe. Huge gambler. Now, how could Rabbi Wallerstein, 13 years ago, have been a huge gambler? He was a Rebbe. He was teaching Torah. How could you be a huge gambler and teach Torah? So I have to rationalize it. So the Gemara says that the reason you're not allowed to gamble, there's two reasons a person's not allowed to gamble. One, if everyone in the world would gamble, then there would be no food and there'd be no clothing because we'd all sit around a poker table and we'd all be playing poker and blackjack and dice and everything else. And everybody would be making money, taking money, making money, taking money, but nobody would be doing anything. So the whole world would be destroyed. So if everybody would gamble and nobody would work, and that's the way you made money, there'd be no world. So Hashem said, a gambler destroys the world. I don't want to destroy the world. And then the Gemara says, the other reason that you're not allowed to gamble, you're a ganaf. When you sit with your friends and you play poker, and you take money from your friends, you're stealing. No, Rabbi. It's a friendly game. I don't care if I lose $20 or $100 or $1,000. It's my friend. Liar. How do I know you're a liar? I'll tell you how I know you're a liar. Because if I was, let's say, to play with one of the guys here and say, guy, it's a friendly game. The most you can lose is $40. But we're going to play poker. And I'm sure nobody here knows anything about gambling, so I don't want to teach you too much. But the best hand in poker is the highest royal flush. That's the best hand. You can't lose with a royal flush. It's better than four of a kind. Five of a kind, they shoot you. <laughs> but there is no such thing. But royal flush. So I would, okay, let's do this. Robert Wallace is going to start the game. Every hand, Robert Wallace is going to start with a royal flush. Want to play me? You can't win. Want to play me? Are you crazy, Robert? What do you think, I'm stupid? I'm going to lose every hand. Right. But if you don't care, to lose every hand because it's just a friendly game, why aren't you playing me? Because it's not fun. It's fun to lose every hand. Aha! That's a lot of fun. Ever meet a guy that lost every hand that night? He just walks out of there smiling. I had so much fun watching you take my money. So the Gemara says that that little inkling in you that it bothers because what does gamble mean? Gamble means that I think I could win if I know, if, right? And, and I lost. You're stealing from another Jew. So that's why you can't play cards. So now, I figured it out. I said like this. I don't play cards to make a living. The Gemara says you're not allowed to make a living playing cards. It's going to destroy the world. I have a plastic bag factory with 200 Chinese guys working and sales force. So I, I make a living in my business. Playing cards is a hobby. So the Gemara is not talking about me. The Gemara is talking about people who make a living playing cards. I don't make a living playing cards. So that problem went out the door. What about the Jew, Jewish people? So every Hanukkah I used to play with my friends. I said, no more. After I learned that Gemara. 
I'm not playing with my friends. They're Jewish guys. If I, if I win and we were playing big numbers, of course it bothered them. In fact, two of my friends to this day, it's 25 years later, don't talk to each other. Because one thought, the other guy went, partnership on you, don't ask. So I said, that's it. I'm not playing with Jews no more. I'm going to Atlantic City. Right? It's all my stockholders. New Jersey says, come down and play. Right? Therefore, I'm not stealing from everyone. Because look how they build those hotels. They have billions of dollars. So they don't care if Wallerstein wins. Because the other 40 guys are going to lose. Right? They look at the whole pot at the end of the day. There's no individual. He's not Jewish. There's no problem. Baruch Hashem. It's great. I could go gamble. So I went to Atlantic City. And I went to Vegas. And I went to Lake Tahoe. And I played millions of dollars. I was one of the biggest players, Jewish Orthodox players. My yarmulke, my tzitzes, I tipped. Kiddush Hashem. We had a minion in the pit. I bought Svarim. I bought Svarim Atlantic City. If you ever go, Congregation Road of Shalom. All their Svarim, it says, and it donated by Zechariah Wallerstein. At Tzadik. I was such a Tzadik, you have no idea. I really made a Kiddush Hashem because never where I played did anyone say, this guy's a cheap, Jews are cheap. I tip like you never knew. I want to talk to you, tell you about my ultimate night in Caesars Atlantic City. So I'm sitting in Caesars Atlantic City. I'm playing all night. It's 4 o'clock in the morning. The shift is over at 4 o'clock in the morning. Now the way it works is everybody on the shift gets paid by the tips. They get the little... The lowest amount of money, and then that's their salary, but they make their money on the tips, so they take all the tips of all the people that played that night from 8 o'clock to 4 o'clock to 8 hours. They take all that money and they divide it by all these people. These are regular people, they make a couple hundred bucks a week. I had a sick night. I was making money, I didn't even know. I, while they were shuffling the cards, I put like $500 on number 18, the little marble fell on 18. Whatever I touched, it was like the Sutton was sitting on my hand, oh, right here, and he's like, come on, you're, you're, you're on a roll. At the end of the shift at 4 o'clock, you know, when you tip, the dealers let play the tip. So I kept tipping because I kept winning, and I kept tipping, and he kept playing my tip. At the end of the shift at 4 o'clock in the morning, I had tipped over $120,000 in their lives. In their lives, this never happened. Because most gamblers are very cheap. And the pit boss came over to me and said, Mr. Wallerstein, would you mind if the shift lines up to thank you? <laughs> so I sat at this table in Caesars at 4 o'clock in the morning, Rabbi Zechariah Wallerstein, all by himself. And 120 people lined up. And one by one walked by because dividing that through the shift, they got a thousand dollars a pop each one of them from me. It took them in tips probably a month to make that normally. They were freaking out of their heads. And I was turning to Hashem. I said, Aren't I amazing? God, did you ever have a Kiddush Hashem like this? In a casino? Anywhere? Every one of them went home and said, the guy with the yarmulke, the Jew, amazing. Don't listen to what anyone tells you that they're cheap. They're not cheap. The guy 
tipped $120,000. I sat there. I was in my glory. I remember I'm sitting here in front of you. Hashem should forgive me. But I'm telling this story for a reason. I sat there in my glory and they lined up one by one. Thank you, Mr. Wallstein. You don't know what this means to me. I had bills to pay. I couldn't pay. Thank you, Mr. Wallstein. I didn't have food on my table. Thank you, Mr. Wallstein. You paid the tuition for my children. I would just sat there. I said, no problem. No problem. It was no problem. Like, give me another night like this. I'll tip you even more. Wow. What crazy power. When they finished, I looked up. I'll never forget it. I said, I did you good, God. Thank you for the money, but I did you good. I made the biggest Kiddush Hashem. And I really believe that, everybody. And you know what Hashem said? Kiddush Hashem! You idiot! In a casino? I need you to go into a casino and make a Kiddush Hashem? Get out and go to a base medrash and make a Kiddush Hashem. A casino? You want to rationalize? That's where you go to make a Kiddush Hashem? You're the biggest hill, Hashem, Wallerstein. Yeah. That's what really happened that night. But I didn't know that. I didn't know that. And I was so proud of myself. Wherever I went, I was called gentleman, the gentleman Jew. I tipped, I never drank, never looked at any women, never got involved, just played my cards. I was nice to everybody. I really thought I was a tzaddik. Finally, a Jew that's out there showing them that we're good people. Until one day, and I would have never stopped gambling, and I would not be sitting in front of you tonight. And one day, Hashem gave me my one chance. And I missed the minion Friday night in my house in, in Muncie. So I had to go next door Friday night to Dom. You wouldn't believe who sure was next door. I was on 25 Locust Hollow Drive, and he lives on 23 Locust Hollow Drive. Rabbi Aderet. So I went next door. Friday night in July, I sat down Rabbi Aderet's minion waits between Mincha and Myriv. Normally you daven Mincha, then you daven Aravit from Shabbat. They wait. So I'm sitting there. What do you do when you're sitting there? You take out a safer. I walked over, I saw all this for him. The safer they call the Kavayasha. I took out the Kavayasha. First time in my life, I never saw this book before. And I just opened it up. I just opened it up. Let's see what this book's about. Let me tell you what it opened up to. When Hashem created the world, He gave the dark power the same exact power that He has. Because in everybody's struggle, it has to be equal. Bad and good has to be equal. If one has more than the other, it's not fair. And the Satan, this is Kaviyosho, the Satan came to Hashem and said, You have a key you didn't give me. The key to Parnassah, money. You can reward the good Jew, and I can't reward the bad Jew. So Hashem said, Satan, you have as much money as I do. So it says the Kaviyosha, the following. How can people on Shabbat that have their businesses open on Shabbat make so much money? Who's giving them that money? 
can't be from God, because he says you're not allowed to work on Shabbat. That when he comes from the Satan, not only that, but you'll find that if you open on Shabbat, you're going to be much more successful than when you're not open on Shabbat. Because the Satan has the money to feed the people who sin. Okay. I have no problem with that. I keep Shabbat. That was cool. And then he says, an age-old trade that was done that women used to make money with. And they say, how did these women make such money? And said, Hashem definitely doesn't support that trade. He says, this is what Satan does. To the extent that there's a pasuk in the Torah that says, Esnan Zona, that a Zona who makes money and she wants to bring a carbon because she rationalizes with the money that I made. I'm not such a bad girl. I'm going to bring a sacrifice. Hashem said, Esnan Zona. Don't bring up my mezbeach. I'm not interested. Don't rationalize. The guy who gambles and says, but I'm going to give a lot of tzedakah. But that money... So then came the big word. Those who race birds and play dice. Gamblers. That money comes from Hashem? You think Hashem's sitting in a casino? Oh, full house. Let's give him money. Oh, blackjack. Let's give him money. Oh, the dice ended up on... Chas v'shalom. Chas v'shalom. So all the money you make gambling is from the dark side. Now I'm getting a little nervous. And then it says the following. So, so it's from the dark side. New. So I won't buy an aliyah. I want to buy a car with it. So the Kaviyosha says that anybody who takes money from the dark side, those who gamble and make money. So after 120 years, when they die, the Satan says, I supported you your whole life. You got money from me. Therefore, you belong to me. And he takes that soul and he puts it in the seventh level of hell, the time of Gehenna, never to come out. Not 11 months of Kaddish, not Mishnayis. You belong to him. And not only that, says the Kaliyosha, but the money that you won, whatever you do with it, belongs to him. So if you buy a Sefer Torah, everything that, every time they lane, doesn't go to the good side, goes to the other side. If you give money for a kid to learn in school, doesn't go to the good side, it goes to the other side. So not only are you not doing something good, you're the one who's feeding the dark side, who's bringing cancer and every other thing into this world. I said, Chansky! I will never gamble again. I'm not stupid. If I'm going to go gambling, I'm going to lose. So I'm an idiot. If I win, it's money from the Satan. What am I going to do with it? So I stopped that Friday night. Now you're talking about an impossibility. Gamblers Anonymous called me 9,000 times. They called me from Vegas, from everywhere. Wallerstein, Steve Wallerstein. How did you stop? Where are you playing? Offshore? They couldn't believe it. We don't see you're not playing in the United States. You're playing offshore, aren't you? I'm like, no. So how did you stop? Nobody stops when they're up. I was up. Gamble's anonymous. There's no one sitting there that's winning. When you're losing, so you, I need help. When you're winning, I don't need help. <laughs> Who needs help when they're winning? That's why gambling is the worst of all the addictions. Because it's the only addiction you can win. So my friends used to say, you're addicted! I would say, that's right, but I'm up 100. <laughs> Not like drugs. I'm making money. Not always. So it's a terrible addiction. 
So I stopped 13 years ago. I learned that. Baruch Hashem, never, ever did I look at a card. Did I, do I even, will I even land in Vegas to get to L.A.? I won't land in Vegas. I'm done. It's over. I learned a Yasha. I understood what it said. I said, I don't want, after 120 years, that everything I'm doing belongs to him. But let me tell you something. I rationalized until I came to that Kaliyasha that I was doing a big mitzvah. Now, boys and girls, let's go back to that night in Caesars, Atlantic City. Kiddush Hashem? If I made a Kiddush Hashem, where did it go? If it was the biggest night that I ever did anything for Hashem, I was gambling. The money was the money that I gave them was coming from the dark side. So if I made the biggest kiddush Hashem, I created the biggest nuclear missile against us. Because that kiddush Hashem I gave to the Satan. What an idiot! As I sat there in my pride, thinking how great a person I was. That was a mistake that Nadav who they rationalized. They sat there and said, it's a mitzvah, Hashem said, I didn't ask you to bring a fire. You don't need to drink. You should be married. Don't make up your own rationalizations. The Gemara says you shouldn't gamble. Don't work your way around it. It's like the guy that two years ago, a girl calls me up and says, I went out with this guy, and he said that his rabbi said that if you wear gloves, then you're shayim in a gear. <laughs> Right? It's stupid and silly. No, it wasn't so stupid and silly because she believed him. He rationalized. Doesn't say anything about gloves. <laughs> so the first thing for a person to change and to grow, ladies and gentlemen, is to realize that what you're doing is wrong not to rationalize it because if you know it's wrong then you have a chance to change if you think it's right you'll never change and how do you know if it's right or if it's wrong how do you know if it's right or if it's wrong so the very famous story that I've told a few times about the two Israelis that got stuck in the Judean desert two soldiers they were, they were going after terrorists and they got separated from their platoon. And they were stuck on a sand dune in the middle of the Judean desert where it's 140 degrees in the summer. And they were dying. And the first thing that happens when you're dying of thirst is you begin to hallucinate. And you begin to see things that aren't real. Those are called mirages. And the satan is known for what they call dimyonot, which is mirages. They make you think, ah, oh, big mitzvah, like the girls are telling me, Rabbi, yeah, I'm not so sure many gear, but ever since I met him, he started going to Minion. Great. He's going to Minion, but you're not sure many gear. So you're Chayef Kares, and he's going to Minion. Very nice. And they really believe it. They're like, you don't understand, Rabbi. So we do some stuff that's not right, but, but he's just a different guy since I, I mean, if it wasn't for me, he, he just wouldn't be religious. Baloney, that's their sale. The guys tell you that. It's not true. Because guess what? You can't be religious for somebody else. That's why we don't convert people who want to just get convert to get married. If he wants to go to Minion, he should go to Minion without you. And if you go to Minion because of you and he's not Shemri Gia, 
It's all a mirage. I know a school, yeshiva, where 80% of the boys are woken up for shachlis in the morning by girls. <laughs> I know the vecker. They call it a vecker in Yiddish. There's a guy, a mashkiach, who goes around every morning at 7.30 to wake up the boys. He cannot get one of them to get up. Not one. But the girls call at 7.30, and the guy's phone rings. Are you getting up? Are you going to shachlis? You're not supposed to be talking to this guy. Why are you talking to this guy? What are you doing? What are you talking about, Rabbi Wallstein? I wake him up for davening every morning. That's not what the Torah says. The Torah doesn't say that a woman should call, right, before she's married, her boyfriend, Yeshiva, and wake him up every morning. Rationalization? No, she's a big Tadeka stuff. And we sell him that. We sell him that baloney. And they believe it. So how do you know what's right and what's wrong? Amazing story. So... They're dying, these two guys. And one of them is already hallucinating. And he looks to the bottom of this hill of sand and he tells his friend, Hashem has saved us! There's a lake. I don't know where it came from. There's a lake at the bottom of the sand dune, of the mountain. Let's go down and get water. Now his friend, who was not hallucinating yet, couldn't stop him from going. This guy, when you see something and you're sure you see it, you see it. So his friend, he wrote this in the Jerusalem Post, his friend knew if he goes down, he's dead. He'll never get back up, the, get up the sand dune. So he tells his friend the following, beautiful. He says, before you go down, look into the water. If you see the reflection in the water of the sky, the sky is blue in the desert. If you see blue in the water, reflection of the sky, and you see the sun, I'm going down with you. But if there's no reflection of the sun in the sky, then it's not water. It's sand. Well, guess what? He looks down at the water, and he says, that is so weird. I see water, but there's no reflection. The sky is not in the water. The sun is not in the water. And his friend said, of course it isn't, because it's sand, and sand doesn't reflect the sky. And he stopped them. And the reason it was written in the Jerusalem Post, five hours later, a helicopter found them, and they were saved. And they wrote in the Jerusalem Post how this friend saved his friend, and how brilliant, brilliant, how he was able to break this mirage. So if anyone in this room wants to know, what is a Kiddush Hashem and what is a Chilun Hashem? Look at the reflection of what you're doing, girls and boys, and ask the question, do I see in this reflection of what I'm about to do, do I see God looking down on me? If I would have looked around that room in the casino, in Caesars, besides that, they have statues all over the place, which is a way desirous. And besides that, the waitresses weren't exactly dressed, sneeristic. And besides, half the people were drunk and white trash. Had I looked around the casino and then said, do I see the reflection of Hashem, my Hashem? Is this a shul? Do I see the reflection of Hashem in where I'm sitting right now? Or do I see the reflection of the devil? I would have known right away that Hashem is not in the room. This is not a place for Hashem. I'm not in a movie theater. This is not a place for Hashem. But the movie, it's a crier! It's not so bad. Is this a place where Hashem dwells in a movie theater where everybody's making out in the dark? I don't think so. So what are you doing there? 
we're not making out, we're just watching the movie. I know, but is Hashem in the room? Is that where you should be? Do you see the reflection of Hashem in where you're at? And if he's not there, it's a mirage. Hashem doesn't want girls waking up boys. It's a mirage. It isn't true. And I can't tell you the craziest sins that I have heard people come to talk to me about. The craziest adultery. Big, huge sins. And I'm like, you're such a good lady. You, you're so good to your kids. You're, you're so religious. You have people over for Shabbos. What are you thinking of doing this? And they have some rationalization. Well, if Hashem didn't want this to happen, then why does this guy live on my block? <laughs> you're laughing. I'm like, oh, that must be what he wants. It says in the Torah, you cannot commit adultery. I don't care if the guy lives in your house. What are you giving me this baloney? No, but he lives in my block. So if Hashem didn't want to, it's, 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 you're right. He lives on your block because this is your test. You crazy? It's Bashar, Rabbi Wallerstein. <laughs> adultery is Bashar. You're laughing. She's serious. She was serious. This is an older woman. This is not an idiot little teenager who's out of her mind. This is a woman, married, kids, everything to lose. Her whole life to lose. Everything. She's willing to lose it. It's the, the, the Sutton soldier. It's Bashart. Because he lives on your block. It's sick. Bashart means it's, it's written in the, in, in the heavens. It's supposed to happen. It's destined. <clears throat> Look at what you're about to do. And if Hashem didn't tell you to do it, what are you doing? Hashem didn't tell you to bring a fire. So they got killed in front of everybody. <laughs> I think you got my point. But this happened many times in the world. When Hashem destroyed the whole world, you know what it says in Rashi? Um, I didn't put that candy in my mouth. You're all in trouble. <laughs> You know what it says when Hashem destroyed the world? You know what Avera they did? You know what broke the camel's back, so to say? You ready for the big Avera? Hashem dis- I'm destroying the whole world. A tsunami that, that covered the earth. What did the world do? Says Rashi, they stole. What did they steal? A Maserati? No. A grape. What? A grape. A grape. One grape. One second. They served idols, committed adultery, killed people. No, 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 no. They're going to do tshuva. They're going to be good. Says Rashi, what happened? Ooh, you stole the grape. End of the world. That's it. You're all out of here. Or, I don't know if you eat this, but Israelis eat garenim. You know, the little sunflower seeds? They spit at you on Shabbos. You'll, right? <laughs> Very nice, beautiful. So I don't know how you call Garinim one single Garinim, Garin, Garin, whatever, Garen. What? Garen. One! You stole one Garen? End of the world. Give me a break. What's going on here? You know why? As long as they were stealing big things, they knew they did something wrong. So what did they do, these wise guys? The halacha is that anything that's worth, le- worth less than a penny is not considered stealing. So if you go to your friend and you take one poppy seed, 
right? You don't have to ever pay for it. It's not considered stealing. So what do they do? 60 guys, 100 guys walk into a store, and each guy took one grape. So the whole cluster, right? They peeled off all the clusters of grapes, but every single guy, you couldn't bring him to court, because each guy, I took one grape, I took one grape, it's not worth a penny, I don't got to pay. When Hashem saw this, Hashem said, now they're stealing, but they figured out a way to steal with rationalization. In other words, everybody walked out, I didn't do nothing. I stole one grape, come on, get over it. Meanwhile, the poor guy had no grapes left. Hundreds of people walking through a store taking one grape. They were brilliant. Hashem said, there's no reason to keep the world anymore because these people will never do tshuva. Because as long as you think you're not doing something wrong, you're not going to do tshuva, you destroy the world. Sodom! Avram Avinu said, Hashem says, I'm destroying Sodom. Avram says, you got a hundred, you got, you got 50 good, good people there? No. 40? No. 30? No. 20? No. 10? No. Okay, destroy him. Avram Avinu, you're the man. You're even a better speaker than Rabbi Wallerstein. Why did you go to Sodom? Right? You and Eli Mansur and a couple other rabbis and open up a yeshiva and be Makar of the people of Sodom. Avram Avinu was the Kirov major league Kirov. He turned the whole Haran around. He could walk into a room and just turn people around. He could even he can even get all of you off Facebook. I can't, but Avram Avinu could have. So go to Sodom, go to Sodom, and make Bali Tshuva. No! He says to Hashem, okay, you don't have to dig him, destroy him. What happened over here? Everybody else in the world, he tried to save. And the answer was that Sodom, killing people, was their religion. What do I mean? Listen to this. And you know what? Not a bad idea, the way they thought. It's not the Torah idea. They said like this. If there's a poor person who comes to town, who made him poor? Who made him poor? God. Really, you have a right to interfere with God. If this person's poor, you're going to give him money? You are anti-God. If this person needs medicine, and he's sick, and you're going to give him medicine? You're anti-God. You deserve to die. That was their religion. So therefore, when a poor man came to town and he asked for some money, you know what they did to him? They took him into a room. If he was tall, they put him into a little bed and they cut off his legs. And if he was short, they put him into a big bed and they stretched him from both sides till every joint in his body was pulled out and he died. Disgusting. No. No, they said. This guy did not accept from Hashem that he's poor. Which means that he doesn't agree with what, how Hashem created him. So that means if he's tall, he doesn't agree that he should be tall. We'll cut his legs off. That means if he's short, he's not happy being short. We're going to stretch him out. It was a religion. Like the Nazis. It was a religion. They didn't feel bad when they killed Jews. They said, we're killing cockroaches. Not human beings. So when they wiped us out, they didn't feel bad. They felt like they're cleaning the world from a disease. So Hitler, Yamak he rationalized. But if you get rid of all these other people, the world's going to be a better place. So Hashem said, destroy Saddam, and Abraham said, destroy Saddam. Those people think they're doing a mitzvah. They will never change, just like the Arabs who blow up a bus. They don't say, oh my God, we kill a lot of people, but we want to get the land back. They say, Al-Akbar. In the name of God! Then they kill you. They don't say, I'm the devil, but I want to get revenge on the Israelis. 
No, I'm doing the will of God. Then they blow everybody up. You can't talk to those people because they don't walk away upset. They walk away. I made a Kiddush Hashem like Wallstein and Caesars. I made a huge Kiddush Hashem. I blew up little children and women. Or I slit their throats and eat them up. I'm, I'm an angel. You can't deal with such people. And in this week's parasha, the same thing happened with another Gavihu. They rationalized. Hashem said to, to Aaron, there's no tshuva. I know you want to wait till they do tshuva. There's no tshuva. They think they're right. They think that you need to drink. They think that I needed a fire. I don't need a fire. And therefore, they died. So I want to end with this thought. So what happened to Nadav Avihu's souls? They went to Shemayim, but they did this thing, and they did a chil Hashem. It made it look like Hashem needed them to light a fire. So they came back, those souls, in a Gilgal. In a reincarnation, they came back in the soul of Pinchas, ben Elazar ben Aaron HaKohen. And Pinchas, who was Pinchas? Eliyahu Navi. How could it be that two souls came back into one person? And the answer is, guys were not married, and girls were not married. The answer is that since Nadav and Avi were not married, when you're not married, you're only a half a soul. So Nadav was a half a soul, and Avi was a half a soul. Together they make one soul, and they became Pinchas, who became Eliyahu Navi. So we're going to end with this thought, and then a short little story and we'll let you go. So what happened with Elio Navi girls? Elio Navi lived in the times of the Nevi'e Baal, 454th prophets, who said that God is an Avodah called Baal. Elio Navi said, no way. God is Hashem Echad, Ushmo Echad, Achav was the king. And listen to what Elio Navi says. Very interesting. So Elio Navi was actually not of their view. And what was their problem? They rationalized. So what were the Jews doing in those days? In those days, the Jews were going to shul in the morning and believing in Hashem. And after that, they would go and serve Baal. So in the morning, they were good Jews. And in the afternoon, they would serve Baal. Listen to this. Vayigash Elio, if you want to look it up, it's Malachim Aleph Yudches. Vayigash Elio al-Kola Atem Elionavi said to all the Jews, they were all gathered like this, he said, make up your mind. Why do you read both sides of the page? If God is God, go after him. And if God and if Baal is Avaidizara, go after him. Make up your mind. Don't go to shul in the morning and go to the movies at night. Either go to shul in the morning and don't go to the movies at night, or go to the movies and don't go to shul. Now that is not what we know. If you had said to me, Rabbi Wallstein, I go to the movies at night, but I go to shul in the morning, I would never tell you don't go to shul. Keep going to shul and hope that you'll stop going to the movies. What is Elio Navi saying here? Elio Navi is telling them, listen, guys, make up your mind. Either serve Avodah Zara a whole day or serve Hashem. You can't play both sides of the thing. That's not. Whatever mitzvah you put on tulin, even if you don't keep Shabbos, I'm not going to tell you not to put on tulin anymore. So what's Elio Navi saying here? Who was Elio Navi? Elio Navi was... Thank you. Are we still awake? Okay. The button didn't wear out. Nadav Avihu. Nadav Avihu. What was the lesson that they learned? Don't rationalize. So Leonavi said, as long as you're going to shul in the morning and then you go to the movies at night or whatever you're doing, or you're chilling or you're hanging or whatever you're doing at night, as long as you're doing that, you're going to rationalize, well, I'm a good guy. I go to shul in the morning. So Leonavi said, from what I learned, 
Don't rationalize. Don't go to shul. Serve that way to Zorah. That way you'll know you're doing something wrong. If you know you're doing something wrong, you'll end up doing tshuva. So you know, he stepped out and said, don't go to shul. Go watch your movies all day. Only because he came from Mother Vavir. Let's see the end of the story. So, they say, listen, we don't know. 450 false prophets, one honest prophet, Eliyahu Navi. And Navi says, okay, we're going to do a test, and this is it. We're going to, I'm going to build him as Bayach, and the Nevi'ah Baal is going to build him as Bayach. Hashem is going to send the fire, or, Nevi, or the, or the Abu Yazar is going to send the fire. So they both built him as Bayach. Eliyahu Navi took 12 stones, and he built him as Bayach, and he put a cow on it, and he put wood on it, and he put the cow on the wood, and he poured a lot of water all over it, and then the V.A. Baal built the Mizbeach, and inside the Mizbeach they put a man with a fire, so that when they scream, Avay Vizora, send the fire, this man was going to light the Mizbeach up. They had a whole plan to fake everyone out. A Nachash came, a snake came, and killed the guy that was in the Mizbeach. So the V.A. Baal was screaming, send the fire, send the fire! A whole day they said, send the fire, no fire. Leonobi sat there and he said, scream louder, he's sleeping, wake him up! And they scream louder. Navi says, till blood came out of their eyes. So they're screaming, Baal, Baal, send the fire! And the guy's dead. And Navi said, okay, everybody, it's almost night, come to my side. And he said, Hashem, show Klai for who you are. And out came a fire, burnt the Mizbeach, everything, the cow, the water, the wood, the st- everything burnt to a crisp. And Klai Yisrael pointed and said, Hashem will like him. Hashem is the God. And Navi waited a whole day. The whole day he didn't light a fire. He didn't ask Hashem to do it. He waited a whole day. And he made a huge Kiddush Hashem. And they realized that all these prophets were false. And they followed the Torah and the Mitzvahs. So what happened, everybody? The Chil Hashem that Nadav Aviyu did was that they brought a fire. And they didn't wait till the fire came out of Shemayim. Eliyahu Navi, who was them, sat a whole day and said, Nah, 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 I'm not making that mistake again. I'm going to wait for the fire. And the fire came out and fixed the Chil Hashem that Nadav Aviyu did. And the Anobi, who was Pinchas, who was Nadav Aviyu, fixed the whole thing. So everybody gets a chance to do tshuva. Shaul Amelech lost his malchus because he was supposed to kill Amalek. And he let the animals live. And, and that's why Amalek is still in existence today. Because he didn't kill the animals. Do you know what he told Shaul when Shaul said... Shmuel said, I told you to kill, Hashem said, kill everyone. He said, yeah, but I kept the animals because why should we just kill animals? Let's bring them up as sacrifices to Hashem. And Shmuel said, you just lost the kingdom forever. You are done. Your children, done. The kingdom will come from David HaMelech, from Yehuda. Do you know why? Because you just rationalized. You said, even though Hashem told me to kill all the animals, wouldn't he rather have Kabanos? not what Hashem said. He said, I don't want animals. And if you rationalize, then you're just like Amalek. Because Amalek also rationalized. Eliphaz, who killed, who said, I'm going to kill Yaakov, also rationalized. My father told me, it's Kibbutz Aim. That was his rationalization. So who became king? David HaMelech. Who does David HaMelech come from, everyone? Yehuda. Who was the one person who didn't rationalize? Yehuda. When Tamar said, is this your stick and is this your clothing? Instead of saying, uh, no, I don't know what that is. He said, Chatasi, I sinned. No rationalization. What I did was wrong. I was going to kill an innocent woman. So Hashem said, that's who I want my kingdom to come from. People who don't rationalize the wrong, and if they don't rationalize the wrong, they'll do tshuva.
So I want to leave you with a bracha. Vayidom Aaron. And Aaron was quiet. It's very hard to be quiet when things happen to us in life. But the reward for being quiet, everybody, is the next words. Vayidaber Hashem El Aaron. Because only one of us can talk at a time. And if we're busy complaining to God about what He's doing to us, then we can't hear what He's telling us back. So the reward for Vayidom, the reward for being quiet, is to be able to hear God's voice. And people will tell you that they're closer to God in tragedy, they're closer to God in bad times than they are in good times. When they're quiet, they can hear HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So my bracha to everyone here is, we're going through very hard times. The Jewish nation, the world, instead of fetching, instead of complaining, Vayidom Yaakov, Vayidom Moshe, Vayidom Chaim, Vayidom Miriam, Vayidom Esther, Vayidom Chani. What's the reward? What's the reward for not rationalizing and making everything correct? What's the reward? Vayidam HaShem, El Moshe, El Chaim, El Chani, El Miriam. That's when you hear HaShem's voice. The road to Gehenna is paved with good intentions. The road to Ganeiden is paid with those who listen to the voice of Hashem. And the only way to know what's right and what's wrong is to look at your actions and to see, do I see the reflection of HaKadosh Baruch Hu? And if all of us change our lives and change our ways and stop rationalizing everything that we do and justifying everything that we do and make it right even though that we know it's wrong, then everyone in this room and everyone who's listening to this shir and all of Klai Yisrael will very soon moments see the reflection of Moshiach. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com